0: But then I read the other side of the practice. And now I'm not going to say you're absolutely wrong. But three times the court has considered your arguments, looked at those cases the English case Hutchinson. No report. Later cases refer to it. There was a complexity involving a special commission designed to try people who had committed murder outside the country. The King's Bench didn't have authority. Little column A, little column B. Yeah, baby! Hey, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today. Most of them are far beyond our control, you might say. So perhaps it's time we took a pause and thought about life and thought about the laws of gravity. The Supreme Court, the Constitution, politics, and or the news. Don't touch that dial. Just try to hear me out for a little while. The uh, Supreme Court is in the final stages of its most recent session. And rulings are starting to come down. They are the stuff of chat, especially for Constitution Thursday, the Saturday podcast team. Joining me today is Pat, the lawyer as we pull aside, pull apart at least three of the rulings if we got time. Here's how you get a hold of me. The text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE. That's 209-565-3283. The email is dave at the dave Bowman show.com. And, of course, we're on the web. Let's look for The Dave Bowman Show on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Ego, but Mary Capullo said, I drink coffee that others might live. So we're trying something a little different tonight. The, uh, it took us a while to get it to even work, so I'm not sure that it's absolutely going to work, but we're going to try it anyway, and uh, well, that's what we're going to do, I guess, in the big the big scheme of the evening's uh, events. The Supreme Court is beginning to put out the last of its rulings. We're in the final days of the Supreme Court session, as I said, and three rulings that have come down that we've talked about on the show. Uh, The Gundy ruling, the Gamble ruling, and the Bladensburg cross ruling are all causing a lot of mm, consternation amongst people. And So we thought we'd spend some time uh, getting in To those. Pat the lawyer joins me all the way from uh, California, is where he is. Hopefully, this will work and not sound too bad. Pat, it's good to see you again. Great to have you back on the show. Glad you're with us this afternoon. And as we've got some time to talk about it, I want to get your impression first because you're, you know, (laughs) Pat the lawyer. First thoughts you had when when the Bladensburg Cross ruling came down, and the Bladensburg Cross ruling was 7-2, to two, that the cross was not unconstitutional. What first impressions well, of that?
1: Pretty much it's what I expected. I mean, and I think it's what you expected, that they weren't going to strike down the cross. It sounded seemed pretty obvious uh, from the orals that that's what they were going to do. I'm, I'm actually glad, though, that you played that. Clip, I don't remember which case it was from, but the clip from Briar at the beginning, because that little joke, that's part of the reason I love listening to the orals, is there's so much humor and fun in them. And then he kind of made the point that I'm gonna make, which is I listen to one side and I think, okay, yeah, that that makes total sense. That's that's the way it should be. And then I go read the descent in Bladen's, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, that that actually makes a whole lot of sense too. It really,
0: it really does it's it's a strange lineup i mean 7 to 2 seems like you know this was one of those ones where you kind of expected it to be sharply divided 5 4 7 to 2 means that at least two of the conservative justices or two of the liberal justices i'm sorry didn't see you know they they, they didn't take the normal approach is that kind of the way you write
1: it is and And like I said, I I think it was probably the correct decision, because as as the majority said, you know, it's a long, it was originally a private cross, it wasn't a public thing, it's somewhat secular, but then I read Ginsburg's dissent, and she does make an excellent point. I mean, a cross is a cross, and it is a pretty well-established Christian symbol, and the First Amendment does pretty clearly say no establishment. So, I like the majority opinion, but she makes some really interesting arguments that kind of make you think.
0: You know, what's odd to me in all of this is that now that uh, Justice Kennedy has retired and we've gone through an entire session, maybe it's the movie, maybe it's her popularity. I don't know, but I've actually found myself reading more Ginsburg and and becoming, I, I don't agree with her, but I see what Justice Scalia liked in her.
1: Yes. I. Oh, I, she's one of my favorite justices. And in terms of just personality, I, I, I don't agree with her a lot either. But she's a very fun person to, to read. And she doesn't hold back.
0: No, she doesn't. So as I looked at this Bladenburg case thing, I, I still think it's establishment. And there, there's simple reason that I think that it's establishment is, is very simple. And that is the government of the state of Maryland is paying right. for this. How is that not established?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's where I have trouble with the majority. I mean, there is that argument that it was originally established by private funds built privately and that it only really became public land, as I understand from the ruling, kind of because it had to, because they were building that road. And and so they it was either become public land or the cross goes away. But, yeah, I I definitely see the establishment argument. I just see the historical argument that the majority makes, and the fact that you know, it, it is somewhat different than a regular cross with, all, with the different writing that's on it, and the fact that at the time it was established, it wasn't just seen as a Christian symbol, it was actually seen as a, a symbol of sacrifice in the war, so looking at it in context for when it was built.
0: Well, and that's part of the conversation that I've been having over recent days about, you know, remembering sacrifice. And it's important to understand that Uh, it's, you know, off the topic for today. But this uh, with a seven to two ruling, again, that means that two of the liberal justices saw it the same way. I was um, I, I predicted, you know, we were talking earlier and I said it was it would be Ginsburg and. I think I said Kagan and it turned out to be Sotomayor yeah. who Who? I saw pictures of her today and this is completely outside. She looks terrible. She looks really, really bad. Put that aside, but uh, she's really aged. The court has not, not done well with her. Um, but what I was going to say is does this boat, how does this boat in the future? Because now there are a lot of these kind of cases where secular humanists have filed these suits and whether you agree with them or not, you know, there's a lot of effort. You've got the, the the military people that want to do away with the Bible on the um, the missing man table and right. that kind of stuff. How does this? How do you think this bodes for those kinds of cases in the future?
1: Well, I don't know that it is necessarily a guide for the cases in the future because, looking particularly, I think I, I haven't. Had, I'll be honest; I haven't had time to read, read all of the opinions all the way through, but. It seems to me the liberals who sided with the majority were looking more at that this is a unique situation. This isn't more of a guide for all of the cases. This cross was established 100 years ago. It's been there forever. It's become recognized as a secular symbol as opposed to somebody builds a cross tomorrow or the Bible, you know, a missing man. That's a little different because that's more contemporary that's not something that has that same context
0: you know one of the first first episodes of the Saturday podcast we talked about the Soledad cross which is a very similar kind of scenario here
1: right, right. And I don't
0: not, you know I don't know that that case has ever been really resolved I I, I gotta think that if people are looking at that now they're gonna to look at this and go well until there is a change in the court a significant change to the left in the court these monuments may be uh, may be safe even if the government is paying for them
1: yeah and and that is definitely an issue the government paying for them that's the one situation that i have a real problem with as opposed to there was a case here in california where there was a large christian symbol displayed it was totally on private property totally maintained at private expense but it was visible from i think it was 205 or 580 one of the major freeways and so people were saying well that's establishment because you're seeing it from a public road
0: yes <laughs> yeah see, I, I wouldn't agree with that if for, for me it comes down to the paying for it who's paying right. for it and if and if the government's paying for it i don't see how it's not establishment that case is done seven to two the court rules that the bladensburg cross can stay it remained, it, like you said, they did point out the fact that it was a uh, a particular instance. They they made that point a couple of times in the in the in the majority opinion that this was kind of a one time deal. So, I guess we'll have to see on the other. So there were a couple of other cases, and I've talked extensively about them on the show since the Saturday podcast. And uh, th- I guess the first one I want to talk about is. Oddly enough, is Gundy, which is not the one that everybody else is talking about. Gundy, you said it earlier when we were talking. The uh, Think Progress website is just having an absolute apoplectic fit right. with Justice Alito's concurrence in the in the in the case. The if sharply divided five three, not right. not five four, but Alito concurred, and they are coming unglued. The, the headline from their Thing today is the scariest sentence ever written in a Supreme Court ruling. I don't know if you yeah, saw that or not.
1: I saw that, and I'm thinking, okay. Uh, I, I would think like Dred Scott, people, black people, are property, or yeah, you know, there are a few that are a little scarier than that. Even if you don't like that, that thought process, that was a little bit hyperbolic.
0: And his thought process was very simply that he didn't think the court was going to be was ready to overturn this. And since they weren't ready to overturn it, they weren't going to have the votes necessary. At best, it would be four four if he went the other way, or right. four three or whatever. So, so his position was right now. I'm just not even going to. I'm just not even going to entertain. It's almost like he didn't even listen to anything. He just basically <laughs> said, "Screw it, I'm not getting involved until until we have a full Supreme Court." Because again, Kavanaugh did not hear this. Uh, this was this case was actually heard what was it two days before his confirmation, right? And so his his vote you know, didn't matter in the whole thing. And so it would have been four four, right? Right. Except that he went with the
1: Yeah, if Alito had gone with the Conservatives, it presumably would have upheld the lower court. Right. Which I think the ruling did anyway, if I yeah. remember right.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So I mean is Think Progress do you think their reaction to this is right? I mean they are in an absolute panic over the fact that Alito has said Someday we'll come back to revisit this. And when we do, I'll be happy to overturn this. But right now, today, it's not worth it.
1: I, I think they're a little overly concerned. I mean, you know, basically, you know, to just put a little context in. We're talking about delegation of, of power and the Congress saying, you know, this administrative agency within the executive branch, this is what we want to do. In this case, I think it had something to do, um, was it drugs, if I remember correctly?
0: No, it's, it's SORNA, the sexual, sexual offenders registration.
1: That's, that's right, yes. And I, I know it was a criminal. And, you know, they're basically saying, well, we're delegating this to this executive branch because we can't sit here and do it all ourselves. And there is some debate. I mean, should the legislature be able to basically give legislative authority to the executive branch? I think it's a reasonable discussion to have. I mean, it's a practical matter. It's never going to go away. Right.
0: I, I think it's a reasonable discussion to have. I think their concern in this case was the fact that you had three different general attorneys general that had handled it three different ways. And somehow or another, this the way the law is written is it has allowed one. Per- it's not the it's it, it's 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 not congress designating the executive power to the executive department it's one person by law it's the attorney general and i you know that makes me nervous if congress starts saying you know in the past they've said the president findings but now they're starting to say the attorney general's findings what happens if they start saying the treasury secretary's findings or you know the department of homeland security's findings
1: i get the point but then again if you say the president's findings, OK, so the attorney general or the treasury secretary, whoever does all of the work, walks into the Oval Office and hands the president a piece of paper and says, here's what your findings are. And he says, OK, and you're basically are having the same outcome.
0: Yeah, but don't you, If you if you go to the executive department, don't you at least have the the confidence that the, or at least the idea that the cabinet has considered this as a whole instead oh, of right. just one person.
1: I, I agree, and I'm troubled with Congress basically abrogating its power and saying, "Well, because essentially most of these come down to I don't want to have to take a de- make a decision that might tick off the voters, and so I'm going to pass the buck to somebody else."
0: Right, but we want uh, a forty five hundred dollars raise. Of course, <laughs> makes you wonder. I guess I don't know. the The big case, of course, that everybody is talking about is the gamble case, and this is the double jeopardy case out of out of Alabama. And this has uh, a lot of people. The court upheld this,
1: and which we knew they would.
0: We knew they would. The question is. There's a lot of questions. People are asking me, Dave, why did they uphold this? It doesn't make sense. It's double jeopardy. Uh, well, the court ruled and and I thought this was a pretty good, pretty good uh, outline of why they decided that way. This is directly lifted from the from the from the. Uh, Ruling? Sorry, my brain's just... Not enough coffee, that's the problem. Uh, The dual sovereignty doctrine is not an exception to the double jeopardy right, but follows from the Fifth Amendment's text. The double jeopardy clause protects individuals from being twice put in jeopardy for the same offense. And as originally understood, an offense is defined by law, and each law is defined by a sovereign. Thus, when there are two sovereigns, there are two laws and two offenses. Uh, Gamble attempts to show from the clause's drafting history that Congress must have intended to bar successive prosecutions, regardless of the sovereign, but even if conjectures about the subjective goals were allowed to inform this court's readings of the text, the government's contrary arguments on that score would prevail. Meaning that in in essence, they're binding themselves to this idea that dual sovereigns, it's not Two separate offenses. It's it's not the same offense, is what they're essentially saying, and that's kind of where they've come down on this.
1: Yeah, and this is one where I really took a lot of look at the dissenting opinions because you know, in general, going in, I'm thinking, okay, dual sovereigns. It's well established: federal government, state governments. That's how it works. But you know, Ginsburg did, in her dissent, make a pretty good point. The Fifth Amendment says. No double jeopardy. It doesn't say no double jeopardy, and then have a little footnote that goes down to the bottom of the page and says, "Well, unless it's the state of Alabama, then it's okay." And you know, it's it's kind of difficult to justify if there is no double jeopardy. There is no double jeopardy,
0: right? But this right. Sovereign, sovereign idea sovereign. comes out sovereign. of. Uh, the, the Fox case back in 1847, which is probably not it's not directly related to this, but I was talking to Buster earlier today. And what you've got to keep in mind is that this this comes from an era when the country was struggling with the idea of what to do about dealing with slavery, slavery laws and right. escape slavery laws. and And if suddenly you couldn't. You know, if suddenly you couldn't do these things, this dual sovereign idea, what if the federal government decided that these slave laws, these fugitive slave laws were unconstitutional, but, right. but Georgia didn't? I mean,
1: it, it kind you know, of... But you also have to look, you know, 1847, that's, and you've talked about this in, in your historical podcasts, that... The United States and the United States meant completely different things before and after the Civil War. So right. there were very much in the minds of most people two sovereigns pre-Civil War because the states mm-hmm. were almost – it was almost seen by a lot of people as a confederacy. After the Civil War and after incorporation, you know, is that dual sovereign concept really still valid?
0: And that's and that's the question. And, and if it's not – what has changed in our thinking? We don't think of ourselves that way. We don't think of ourselves as Californians, Washingtonians, Virginians right. first, but they did in that era. So does dual sovereignty really even matter anymore? That's that's the first question. But the bigger questions to me are, there's two questions that I have that I want to get your take on. Number one, do you think that the court they're not supposed to. But do you think that they considered the political fallout of this case and, and what it would mean if they did overturn this doctrine?
1: Oh, yes, they, they did. I mean, there's no way that they couldn't have considered the Trump impact. In fact, I was having a discussion with a, another friend of mine, and we also talk about Supreme Court cases. He's very, very anti-Trump. And I flat out asked him, OK, well, how much? of you is happy of this decision because of the constitutional principles and how much of it is Trump. And he conceded, you know, some of it is Trump, but I don't see how the justices being human could be any different.
0: And that's, I mean, that's really what this case came down to is... If, if, if they overturned that doctrine, it would be essentially a win for the, the administration. I mean, the, if, if they had decided this case to overturn dual sovereignty, tomorrow Trump would have been signing pardons. Yep. And now we can't. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I'm not real. I, I have real issues with the idea the way New York and Virginia have gone around doing this. Which brings me to my second point, which is what was going through these prosecutors' minds down in Alabama? What is it about Gamble that they said to themselves four years ago, five years ago, before there ever was a Trump? What is it about Gamble that they said, this guy, we got a hammer?
1: I, I have no idea, but it certainly seems like the prosecutor in this case just for some reason really had it in for gamble. I mean, it's similar, I don't know if they've decided yet. get to, the, there was a case you and I talked about earlier out of Mississippi where this prosecutor has prosecuted these people for a crime like eight or ten times in a row and keeps losing on constitutional grounds and you keep thinking what is it with these particular defendants that they just have to get this guy? And that's
0: the part I don't get I, I don't get it. I don't get why he's got to do that. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, of course, they they weren't thinking that three, four, five years ago when this case first started. Nobody was saying to themselves, someday the president of the United States won't be able to pardon somebody because of this case. But but it does seem like double jeopardy. I mean, the, the facts of the case are the same. Does the court's idea that. It's two different laws and two different sovereigns and two different. Does that really hold water with us? I mean, do we do we look at that as constitutionalists as originalists? Do we look at that and the 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 actual verbiage of it? I mean, you're right. Ginsburg said it. It doesn't say if it's this or that. It says no man shall be put in tri- jeopardy of life or limb for the same offense twice.
1: Exactly. And you know, just on a side note, one thing that I can tell you for absolute certainty. There's a line in Ginsburg's dissent where, and I don't know if I'm getting exactly right, but she basically talks about stare decisis and precedent and has a paragraph where she talks about, well, not all precedent is good or not all stare decisis is good. I'm absolutely positive that in the next couple of years, when the conservatives come down with a case where they overturn some long precedent and she's in dissent, that line is going to be in the majority opinion.
0: Well, shouldn't it have been in the uh, shouldn't it have been in the Gundy opinion? Because that's literally what that was. I mean, it was literally it was Kagan during the during the oral saying, "Why should we overturn 140 years of, of stare I mean, right. Why? And now here we're turning around, going, "Well, we're not going to do this." And Ginsburg says, "Well, not all of it's good." Well. Literally an hour ago, you issued another opinion where you said, mm, yeah, we're going to do this this way because.
1: Because <laughs> we want to.
0: Right. Because apparently it is okay. And, and I do,
1: and I know you already do, but just you know, on, on a side note, I do encourage listeners, you can go to the Supreme Court website and you can listen to the audio tapes of these orals. And they're, even if you're not particularly interested in the law, they are some of the most entertaining listening. uh, They're very funny. They're very clever. Justice Breyer is fantastic. Mm. There there was one that I was listening to where he started to rephrase a question and the other, the attorney interrupted and said, well, you know, based on the way you originally phrased that question, I can't really answer it. And Breyer comes back with, yeah, I know. That's why I'm rephrasing the question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I tell people this all the time. You know, Pat's a lawyer, so this is a little unfair. But sometimes the law is written and conducted in a way that's it, it seems mysterious. One of the things I do appreciate about Justice Roberts is that he has made the Supreme Court very tactile, very approachable yes. for the average human being. Not only, not only do we have the oral audio's what we didn't used to have. You have the, the written ones. You don't get the the inflections and stuff. But the what I'm Really amazed by is that the the rulings themselves are written in English. I mean, there's footnotes and stuff, but they're not. They're this is not you know super you know college right. doctorate level stuff. I mean, it's written for for uh, human beings to read.
1: Well, especially the summaries at the beginning, where they yeah. basically in a series of footnotes give you okay, here's pretty much what the ruling says. Right.
0: And you got to like that. Well, it uh, certainly makes makes things a lot easier. Pat, it's always good to have you on. I wish we had uh, you. I wish I wish we had like the old days from the Saturday podcast. We had an hour to get
1: into each one, but well, we don't. So I wish I could come up there where it's nice and cool. So Yeah, yeah
0: it is a lot cooler here. Yeah, it is, Pat. Always great to have you, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, see you later. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. So there you go, folks. That's the uh, that's the uh, the take that we've got on it. I wish we had a lot more time, and I wish I could give you some better answers about why things happen the way they do. it sometimes at the court, you just don't know. I mean, literally trying to predict what they're going to do, as you can see. I mean, Justice Alito's. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna go with the majority on this because I don't think we're ready to overturn it yet. But when we are, I'll do it. That has Think Progress just melting down today. It's awesome. You can look these up yourself, just go to the Supreme Court's website. I don't remember it's Supreme uh, SupremeCourt.gov, I think is the I think so. Yeah, I think that's the where it is. So anyway everybody, have a great weekend. Enjoy it. And uh, summer vacation has started, so all the kids are gonna be here starting on Monday. I don't know what that's gonna change for me. We'll have to let you know. All right? Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there, so don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. Plausible Live, I'm Dave Bowman. That's Pat the Lawyer over there. Thanks, everybody, for being with us, and we will see you next time on The Dave Bowman Show right here on the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network.
1: Dave Bowman Show is a slippery fish entertainment production for the podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. For more information or to complain about how the show offended you, the text or voicemail number is 209-565 Dave. For more information about the show, log on to the davebowmanshow.com. Hey, I'm going to go do something productive. I'm going to go watch television.